0: Hello, and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Carly Guyman And I'm Shailen Back. We're your co-hosts. Today,
1: we're excited to welcome to the podcast the new primary general president, President Camille N. Johnson, as our guest. President Johnson, welcome.
2: Thank you. I'm delighted to be here with you both.
1: We're very excited to have you and get to know you a little bit better. So Camille Netto-Johnson was born in Pocatello, Idaho. She married Douglas R. Johnson in 1987 and they have three children and three grandchildren currently and two on the way this year, which is very exciting. She graduated from the University of Utah with a bachelor's degree in English followed by a law degree and you've worked as a lawyer for more than 30 years. I think a lot of people are interested in that aspect of your life as well. President Johnson and her husband served as Companion and Mission President in the Peru Arequipa Mission from 2016 to 2019. This has been so fun for us because we've met Sister Porter and Sister Wright, your counselors, and we've actually interviewed them on the podcast before. For our listeners who
0: haven't listened to those episodes, we'll link to their episodes in the show notes. It really has been such a treat to get to meet you, get to hear your stories, and they're just wonderful. Amazing women. Well,
1: Carly and I were just watching this morning the BYU Women's
0: Conference that you
1: sisters spoke together, and you just had your arms around each other. You were smiling at each other, and it was really sweet to us that you were saying that you just felt reunited with longtime friends. That was a
2: tender experience. The opportunity for me to prayerfully consider who the Lord wanted to serve as my counselors and then to submit those names. As I mentioned at BYU Women's Conference, I'd never at least that I recalled, met either of the two of them. But as soon as they were called, I had the opportunity to meet with them that very day. And it did feel like we were just being reacquainted. It felt very familiar. Such an amazing confirmation
0: of that Mm -hmm. choice that Yes. Made.
2: Mm-hmm. Thankfully, we just were able to sit at the table and begin counseling together. And that's been marvelous. And I'm very thankful to have the opportunity to serve with both Sister Porter and Sister Wright.
1: They're marvelous. Consecrated women, great examples. We feel the same way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it was so neat for us. Because part of your process in selecting counselors, you had come across Sister Porter's episode, and that's how you said you felt like you got to know her. And we were just so amazed that you had stumbled upon it and listened to it. And that was really touching to us. Well, I'm a listener. <laughs>
2: <I> <laughs> we're so like, grateful. I yeah. felt like I knew you two both before this afternoon because I've listened to your voices and think you do a marvelous job. But Sister Porter's name came to me quite quickly, but I didn't know a lot about her, and there was quite a bit of information about her late husband, Elder Bruce Porter, but not a lot of detail with respect to Susan, and I happened upon that episode where she was interviewed by you when she was serving on the Relief Society General Advisory Council, Mm -hmm. and it was a real tender blessing for me to feel connected to her and understand a little bit more about her background background Mm -hmm. before i submitted her name information that i wouldn't have otherwise had access to but it was just lovely and i'm pleased that that word got back to you that (laughs) that that episode was particularly meaningful to me and helpful to me in just confirming that that was susan's name sister porter was the right name
0: for that position we're so glad yeah yeah she's wonderful
1: Well, Sister Johnson, as I mentioned before, many of our listeners are interested in your background as a lawyer, and I saw a recent interview that you'd done with a local news anchor where you told her that professional women shouldn't disqualify themselves from church service because the Lord doesn't disqualify them, and I think that brings some comfort and perspective to know that whatever women choose to do or need to do to take care of their families— Regardless of that, the Lord needs all of us, and we can always contribute no matter what our lives look like. Will you share with us how you navigated your family responsibilities with your church responsibilities and your career responsibilities? What did your life look like between raising kids and serving in the church and receiving your education and building your career?
2: It probably looked like organized chaos. (laughs) (laughs) I do have three sons. All of them were born while I was practicing law. I was pregnant with my oldest son just a year or so into my practice and then had two boys thereafter, again, while I was practicing law and managing a home and church responsibilities. My husband always had church responsibilities as well. And I think perhaps the blessing in navigating all of that was knowing what my primary purpose and objective was, and that was to get my family back to our heavenly home intact, right? That Mm -hmm. was my priority. Mm -hmm. Family was my number one top priority, and my husband my children understood that, as did my coworkers. So when I was in the workplace... I didn't shy away from the fact that my primary role in life was as a mother and wife. That was in the forefront. People knew that that was my priority. And there are many reasons why women may find themselves in the workplace. I think most of us do it to provide a level of security to our families. Again, there may be many reasons why Mm -hmm. a woman pursues a professional life or is in the workplace. But my objectives were always clear in my own mind, but I hope I made my objectives clear yeah, it sounds like you to communicated my coworkers, it clearly yeah. Yeah. to
0: yep, the people that you worked with.
2: Yeah, and I didn't shy away from my professional life at church. You brought your whole self. I brought right? my whole self mm-hmm. everywhere. I suppose there are times where I could have taken offense at comments that were made I chose not to. I chose mm-hmm. to be on the happy side of life and to see the good that was coming from the professional opportunities that were mine, mm-hmm. the good that was coming to my family. And it was a little bit of organized chaos, but I have to say, I believe that my boys learned some important lessons in helping each other because we had to work together to make it work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm imagining the scripture that the Lord doesn't require us to run faster than we have strength, because as I'm hearing you talk, I'm just thinking, well, I've kind of done both. I've been home full-time, I've worked part-time, and I've had full-time jobs. And I just feel like no matter what role I'm in, I kind of feel to my limit. And I loved what you said about when you have clear priorities and clear objectives, that's how you make it work, regardless of what you're doing.
2: We counsel together a lot as a family. My kids didn't know that that's what we were doing because if I <laughs> would
0: call it that, if I
2: called <laughs> it that, they might have shied away. Let's just chat and have a snack. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> and that's kind of what it was. Yep. It was Sunday dinner, and I've always kept this big master calendar. It was big, you know, mm-hmm. with the big two by two squares for yeah. each day, <laughs> and we'd go through what everybody had on the calendar for the week, and mm-hmm. we worked together on how everyone's responsibilities would be accomplished, how we'd have to help each other to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And then that master calendar, I had a separate one that I kept in my purse, but the master (laughs) calendar stayed in the house, a guide for everybody knew Mm -hmm. what role they had to play in order to make things happen. People could be successful in all aspects of their life. So was it perfect? Absolutely, positively not. But we made every effort to have our children know that they were loved and supported and cared for, that returning them to their heavenly home was our first priority and we did our best i
0: think that's what the lord requires not that we mm-hmm. run faster than than mm-hmm. we have the capacity for thank you so much for sharing i yeah. there were so many parts of that that i really loved and something too that i think that i really appreciate and that i think listeners will appreciate is that you knew that the lord was pleased with what you were doing because you were focused on the priorities that he has taught us are most important and that that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get approval from everyone else Mm -hmm. or that it will be smooth sailing, right? Right. But that you felt you were walking the right path for you and your family and you were pointed towards Christ and towards the gospel and you were pointing them toward that. So Mm -hmm. I love that. I've learned a lot from that. Thank Thank you so much. President Johnson, Shaylin mentioned in the introduction that you worked as a lawyer for 30 years, but that you and your husband served in Peru as mission president and companion. So we imagine the call that you and your husband received to be mission leaders was difficult to prepare for in such a short amount of time, especially because you were putting that career on hold for a time. We'd love for you to share what that experience was like and then also how that prepared you to serve as the primary general president, mm-hmm. that experience in Peru.
2: Well, trust in the Lord and lean not unto your own understanding. We had so many experiences in preparing to leave for Peru where things just came together, usually at the last minute, but we knew we were engaged in the right cause and a noble cause and a consecrated cause, and we expected heaven's help, and we received it. Not always as quick as we'd hoped, (laughs) but by way of example, we were trying to figure out what to do with our home and had explored several different options, but ultimately, and sort of at the last minute, we found a family that was looking to rent a home. But the only condition was they really needed it for three years, you know? And it was just like manna from heaven that Mm -hmm. came to us, that they needed it for precisely the amount of time that we were going to be away. Mm -hmm. In terms of putting my career on hold, I did take a leave of absence from the law firm where I'd been practicing and Mm -hmm. had Six months' time, really, because the call came. We were able to publicly discuss the call, Mm -hmm. you know, in December,
0: and we didn't go until June. And make plans and... Right. mm
2: -hmm. So I had six months to make sure that other lawyers in the firm knew what was going on with respect to each of my cases, to substitute counsel Mm
0: -hmm. that
2: you have to do formally with the court so that there's someone there on Mm -hmm. the case.
0: continuity. Mm -hmm. That there's
2: continuity. And just to address all of our other affairs, the other interesting things that were happening in our life at the same time is that our first grandson was born just a few weeks before we left.
0: Oh, that's so and our, hard.
2: Our youngest son, Hannah, graduated from high school, was endowed the next day, and left on a mission to Milan, Italy. So he went oh, wow. to the MTC so in Provo. So much happening all at all once. All at once. <laughs> he left for the MTC in Provo, and then we had two weeks to pack up our house so that we could leave to go down to the MTC and Provo for the Mission President Seminar for several days. So that's where we said goodbye to him, is at the MTC and Provo. Then we went to Arequipa, and then several weeks later, after his language training was finished, went to Milan. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot going on, a lot of new things, a lot of changes, packing up, wrapping up a practice. And the Lord provided a way, as He always does. And we should have been frenzied. But we weren't, and he just blessed us with a sense of calm that everything would come together, and it did. That was a gift. And it did. It Mm -hmm. was a gift from heaven. It came again this time. Now, this time, I didn't have six months to transition a law practice. And
0: no one knew. And and that
2: was the point. Before I had six months to transition, I could talk to people about what I was doing. People knew why I was leaving. This time, I had been serving as the president of the law firm and practicing law. And with very little notice and the inability to communicate the change that was coming for me, I had to make electronic notes in every file about what was going on, who the contact people were, make Mm -hmm. sure that there was a second lawyer on the files I was working on. And I was very communicative (laughs) with the chairman and the vice president of the firm and the board itself about everything I was doing in my firm leadership so that there wouldn't be any gaps. Mm -hmm. The Saturday morning of conference, when I knew several more hours this is going to be public knowledge, I sent a text message to the chairman of the board and the vice president of the firm and said, can I speak to you between four and six? (laughs) (laughs) And by then they knew what we were going to talk about at four o'clock. But yes, Yes. we had a conversation about five o'clock on that Saturday of general conference. And I announced that I would resign my position as a shareholder and as president of the firm on Monday, which I did. And I went into the office on Monday because... That's the only day I had. Meetings started with my new responsibilities on Tuesday, and again, manna from heaven. Every person that I needed to speak to, to pass off a file, every phone call that needed to be made, somebody picked up on the end, the other end of wow. the line. Mm-hmm. I was able to get letters out, and it all came together. And about six o'clock on that Monday, that is miraculous. Yeah, it is. I said I checked off everything on my list so that I could come to my new responsibilities on that Tuesday morning, ready to go. And it was just miraculous. And again, another testimony to me that the Lord will just be there Mm. right by your side. He's yoked with us so long as we'll let Him, and we can trust
0: in Him. I think we would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge that that's a huge sacrifice on your part and I think speaks volumes of your faith and your devotion to really to serving the Lord, and that is inspiring. So thank you.
2: It's a privilege to serve. Having had the opportunity to participate in the ordinances of the temple, that decision had already been made. When someone asks, can you serve in this capacity, the answer is yes. It's a privilege to do so and a real blessing.
1: Well, and it seems like those last five years for you have been quite a whirlwind. You had Six months, then you were on a mission, mm-hmm. then you came back and you were the president of your law firm, and then you had to wrap up everything for this calling. And it just seems like that's that's a that's lot, a, lot going a short mm-hmm. a short amount
0: of time. Mm-hmm. I like what you said, too, that you could just expect heaven's help. Yeah, You were doing the work of the Lord. You were serving as mission presidents and now serving the primary. And I like what you said. When we are serving the Lord and serving in His kingdom, we can expect His help. He will help yeah. us. He will be there to smooth things over and make things right. We don't have the ability to do that yeah. ourselves. Yeah. And sometimes it requires a lot of self-talk
2: because, trust me, I was getting those feelings of you're never going to be able to pull this, this off. This isn't going to work. You know, and you just, <laughs> yes. you really have to say, I'm not going there. Yeah. I can trust in the Lord. I've seen his miracles in my life before. I've seen the compensatory blessings that come from serving when he calls. Mm-hmm. I have to really consciously. yes remind myself that the Lord can be trusted. I'm on his errand, that he'll make me the instrument in his hands that he needs. And it's a constant effort Mm -hmm. to keep thinking those Mm -hmm. positive, focused thoughts
0: Mm-hmm. so and that that's, you can get there. That's so relatable because you don't have to be called to serve as the general primary president or even be the wife of a mission president mm-hmm. to feel overwhelmed with church service. Right, you yeah. know, we're all given <laughs> opportunities to stretch and do more than we feel like we can do. And I think those are really relatable and helpful messages for women serving in any capacity. Yeah, agreed. And those two callings were very different,
1: being the wife of a mission president and then now the primary general president. And I'm wondering what from that experience on a mission translates now to this calling? That's a great question. It gives me an opportunity to tell a little bit about my mission
2: experience. Oh, we'd love that. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't speak Spanish. (laughs) And we were called to serve in a mission where about 70% of our missionaries were Latinos from Central and South America Mm -hmm. who spoke very little, if any, English. And that presented challenges for me. I knew— From the get-go, I wasn't going to be the cookie-baking mission president's (laughs) wife. It just wasn't my thing, really. And I appreciate those that bake cookies. I really, really do.
0: We all love cookies. It's not my thing, (laughs) though.
2: I'm a people person, Mm -hmm. so I don't ever want to be in the kitchen monitoring the oven. I want to be where all the the people are, and Mm -hmm. that's my personality. So I was anxious to get to know these missionaries, and I had this immediate feeling the minute that that call was opened— I loved my missionaries. I didn't know them. I didn't know where they were from. I'd never seen them. I had no visual image of them. And I loved my missionaries. So I was so anxious to get to know them. And imagine going to a place where you can't communicate that love in words very well. hmm So going back to your questions about what I was doing in those six months, I was also trying to learn a little Spanish
0: (laughs) and shut down
2: a law practice and get a son graduated and on a mission. I mean, there was a lot going on. I didn't learn very well in that six-month period of time. I had a very just rudimentary knowledge of a few words, and I had written out a very, very, very simple testimony Mm -hmm. in Spanish. That's all I had to work with. And I wasn't blessed with the gift of tongues. Like, I didn't get there, and then suddenly I'd, I could start speaking. Suddenly I believe in fluent. it yeah. for other people, but it wasn't my <laughs> It didn't experience. happen for you. Yeah. It didn't happen for me. I had to work hard at it, but the Spirit made up the difference. And I hope that every one of my 552 missionaries, wherever they are, you know that Sister Johnson loves them. I trust that they do because the Spirit communicated that to them. And... I'm quite certain that not a one of them puts their head on their pillow at night without my voice coming into their mind saying, read the Book of Mormon every day. (laughs) My love for the Book of Mormon and my testimony of the power that accompanies its regular study, its daily study, was communicated to my missionaries. And it wasn't because I had eloquent words in Spanish. In fact, I only had simple words in Spanish. But... I'm quite certain that they heard and felt what the Holy Ghost had taught me about the truthfulness of that book, that it was written for our day and time, and that all the promises that President Nelson has made to us about daily study of the Book of Mormon are ours for the taking, if we'll do that. Mm -hmm. So there's my background. So I get to Arequipa. I don't know any Spanish, but the Spirit makes up the difference. And I feel like those simple principles that were important to love— and testimony were communicated. So, how does that translate to primary? That was your original question. Sorry, I'm just barely getting back to <laughs> this it now. It was great setup. I learned to communicate better the simpleness of the gospel.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I gave hundreds of state conference talks, all in Spanish, and never once had a translator, wow. three years in Peru. Wow! So, I'm writing talks and delivering talks. And using Google Translate and relying upon my son who served in Ecuador on his mission to do some editing for me Uh when he had time. Uh But I had to write very simple messages because when I'd write something that I thought sounded particularly eloquent, I couldn't figure out how to get it translated, you know, (laughs) or it would come out sounding funny. So throw eloquence to the wind because guess what? That doesn't matter. What matters are very simple gospel principles like, we are children of a loving Heavenly Father. He loves us so much that His primary design and purpose is that we return to our Heavenly Home. He made the way possible by sending His Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. That's it, right? And so I learned to teach better, I think, or to communicate in simple terms the basics, Mm -hmm. those gospel principles that we rely upon. And what better place for me to land now than in primary, where that's our aim and objective is for those dear primary children to know that their Heavenly Father loves them, that the Savior Jesus Christ is there by their side. They can put their hand in His and trust that they can make their way back to their Mm -hmm. Heavenly
0: home. Same as with your missionaries. It's like you will have been incredibly successful if these small little nuggets of truth are instilled in the hearts of children. And, you know, with the missionaries, they didn't need a big, eloquent message. That's not what they would remember. But they do remember, like you said, the strength of your testimony of the Book of Mormon. It's my prayer and hope. Thank you for sharing that. Sister Johnson, when you and I
1: previously talked, you shared that with some of your various responsibilities as the new primary general president, sometimes you've thought, how did I end up in this meeting? (laughs)
0: Oh, how did I get here? Yeah,
1: how did I get here and what am I doing? I just feel like there's probably a lot of women who feel this way about their callings, whatever they are, just what am I doing? How did I end up here? And we would just love to know, what would you say to women who are lacking in confidence or who may not feel that their insights would even be valuable if they Mm -hmm. shared them? You'll surprise yourself if you
2: speak up. You have something to bring to each council setting, I've heard Elder Bednar teach about meetings are really revelatory experiences Mm -hmm. and an opportunity for us to gather or glean the revelation that is scattered amongst us. And if we go into those settings, not with insecurities, but saying, Heavenly Father, this is the responsibility that you've given me. Hands have been placed on my head, and I've been set apart for this purpose— I'm going into this revelatory experience expecting to receive something that I can share. I think we look at our responsibility to speak up differently, right? Mm -hmm. And I think... It's really empowering. It is empowering. You'll surprise yourself when you say, oh, this life experience and this life experience brought this together for me today, and I do have something to contribute. Mm -hmm. So be confident in opening your mouth Because you have prayerfully considered your role in that revelatory experience, in that meeting, that Mm -hmm. council in which you're participating. Now, if I don't come to that council well-prepared, it's going to look different, right? Mm -hmm. And you may not have something to say. And (laughs) you might not, right? And then you feel like I have to say something just to say something. But if you come to that council setting prepared to participate in a revelatory experience so that the revelation scattered amongst us can be assembled and Mm -hmm. gleaned, it's different, isn't it? And I think that if women will take advantage of that opportunity to prayerfully prepare for these kinds of council meetings, they'll find that mm-hmm. they have extraordinary
1: contributions to make. And I'm thinking too, not even in council meetings, but even with their calling, if they're a primary teacher, for example, I would hope that they would feel like they could share their experience and ideas or insights with the presidency
2: Absolutely. just based on their experience. Mm-hmm. This is something that has been on my mind. I think that... Our prophet has prepared us for this time by admonishing us to put ourselves in a place where we're receiving personal revelation. It requires a great deal of effort on our part to be prepared to have the Spirit in our lives at all times. But he said that we can't spiritually survive without the influence and the guiding and comforting and truth-testifying Spirit that can attend us. And we're certainly asking our children and youth to be engaged in revelatory experiences with respect to the children and youth program. Mm -hmm. Are we as adults doing the same? And so back to your comment about the primary teacher, she or he is absolutely positively entitled to revelation with respect to that calling if we're seeking heaven's help. We're asking our children and youth to turn heavenward. Are we turning heavenward to get the help, mm-hmm. it's the a inspiration great for us? We've got to model it. And our prophet's been telling us this. Hear him. Mm-hmm. Right? We've heard that over and over. We've got to access the spiritual power that's ours. It's righteous living, it's scripture reading, it's Sabbath day worship, all those kinds of things that qualify us to have the companionship of the Holy Ghost. And we've got to access heaven's help and heaven's power. And every primary instructor, every nursery leader, every song leader is entitled to that kind of inspiration. Let's say I'm the the song leader in a ward. What songs are we going to sing in primary? Should we just check off the ones that we haven't done recently? Or could I seek heaven's help in identifying the songs that are going to invite the Spirit for the children in this primary? which may be different from the children in the primary that's meeting in the hour thereafter. Mm -hmm. But for this group of primary children, which songs are going to invite the Spirit? Which songs do these children need? We're done with checklists. That programmatic approach to checklists and we cross these Mm -hmm. things off, that's not where we're at. The Lord trusts us, and we need to engage heaven's help so that we can fulfill our responsibilities as primary leaders Wherever we serve in the church, importantly, as parents, as stewards of the rising generation, whatever role we play, uncles, aunts, grandmothers, Mm -hmm. grandfathers, we need heaven's help in identifying how we can best fulfill our responsibilities. Mm -hmm.
0: And that sounds very rewarding. Like you said, that sounds like more work. Right? Yeah. More work is required, more effort is required, but it sounds much more rewarding than just checking off a list. Absolutely. And, and more of a privilege to be engaged in. As you were talking, President Johnson, I wanted to ask as we are being invited to seek the Spirit more in all of the roles and aspects of our life, in our yeah. church callings, with our families, that extends to professional, resp- you know, everything that we do can be elevated and improved when we seek the Spirit. What does that look like for someone who is just I'm envisioning you as a young mom balancing work and children and church responsibilities, and sometimes it feels like we are so spread thin that a moment for prayer or scripture study is just real hard to come by. What would you say Mm. to someone who is just reaching for these moments to be able to hear and receive revelation?
2: Carly, I think I could have done it better because you were saying that. I think, oh, I don't know if I did it as well as I could, but the Lord doesn't require a 15-minute prayer. (laughs) If you don't have 15 minutes, that's okay. You might have 30 seconds, and it might be in the car while your kids are all loading in on your way to elementary school to drop off the carpool. Mm -hmm. That's what he wants. Remember our baptismal covenant, which we renew every week on Sunday, that we will always remember him. So are we always remembering him? And just because I don't have time for a 15-minute prayer, and perhaps I don't have time for a 15-minute scripture study throughout the day, am I remembering him? When I have opportunities to listen to something, am I finding something refreshing and uplifting Mm -hmm. to listen to? Or am I sort of dulling my pain with something that's mind-numbing? And we all do that, right? We're Mm -hmm. natural. Sometimes we think, I just want to tune out. I don't want to have to think. But there's lots of little opportunities now for us to fill those voids with things that are inspiring and uplifting and show our Heavenly Father and our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we're keeping our commitment, our Mm -hmm. covenant to always remember Him. It's the good, better, best premise, right? I mean— We're not choosing really poorly. On the other hand, sometimes we can choose better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How those little voids, and I realize as young mothers, there aren't very many. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's little slivers here and there. And especially when you only have little slivers of time, you've got to fill those with things that build you up and lift you up.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and it sounds like it's inclining our hearts to God, and it's just doing what we can do. You I,
2: I think Incl- inclin- I love that. Mm-hmm. It's leaning his way, right? Lean mm-hmm. not to your own understanding.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Lean his way. Show him that you're willing to do that. And then mm-hmm. you're saying, I'm here. Whenever you need to give me inspiration, mm-hmm.
0: I'm here. Yeah. I'm all in. I think that's a really practical guide because whether Mm -hmm. it's a young mom or just someone with a really busy career or any sort of other challenge or just living life, it can be overwhelming when it's like, I need to set aside all of this time Mm. to be able to receive revelation. But it's nice to hear. It's like, we just do the best that we can. And it's in those
2: slivers, mm -hmm. isn't it, that a thought comes to you and you say, oh. That was it. That's the answer to that parenting problem. Mm -hmm. Or this is the person that needs to be invited. Or this is the person I need to call or I can send a simple text. But you're communicating your willingness to be all in with the Savior. Mm -hmm. And we can do that in... I mean, we we need to keep praying. I don't mean to suggest otherwise, but if you can't set aside big blocks of time for Mm -hmm. prayer and meditation, Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) you set aside the slivers. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think I've shared this before, but I get frustrated with myself and disappointed when I get behind on Come Follow Me, for example. But it's funny because when we do start doing it again, the Heavenly Father doesn't punish us. (laughs) He's not like, you haven't been doing this for months. I'm not going to give you any inspiration for a while. It seriously just takes... I start reading the lessons again, and you just are filled with even little ideas. Maybe someone pops into your head or just a scripture that you just—it's so meaningful to you mm-hmm. at the time. And mm-hmm. I love that idea that Heavenly Father, whatever we're able to do and devote to Him, He just— He, he can wants work with. To, He mm-hmm. wants to yes. work with and He will work with. Mm-hmm. So merciful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In preparing for this episode, I asked our ward primary president what she would Mm. ask you, Sister Johnson, and she said that with the new children and youth programs that emphasize home-centered church-supported learning, she's concerned for the children who aren't learning the gospel at home. And she would like to know, what can leaders do to help children who aren't getting as much support at home as others?
2: Well, she's worrying about the same things that I am. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. (laughs) And this happened before I had been sustained, so before April. But Mm -hmm. after my calling came, I kept waking up with the thought, who's ministering to the children? And then the next day, I'd wake up with the same thought, who's ministering to the children? Wow. And I went to the general handbook To see, and it says that ministering brothers are assigned to families, ministering sisters are assigned to sisters. And the notion, of course, is that a ministering brother is assigned to the family with the needs and interests of the children and the youth in that home in mind. And I hope that those assignments are being made with their consideration in mind, their Mm -hmm. considerations in mind. And that the information that that ministering brother is learning about the children and youth is being communicated back to the ward council so that the... Where the primary president and others... Mm -hmm. Can address them, Mm -hmm. right? So that's one way in which the children are ministered to. And again, that's how it's intended to work. And if it were going perfectly... Then I think the children would be ministered to, but there's so many other things we can do. And what you'll see is that the general handbook talks about the role and responsibility of primary leaders, and the word minister's there too. So while it's not a formal calling to minister to Johnny and Jane and Sam, Mm -hmm. because those are the children in your class, primary teachers are called to teach and minister to those children. Mm -hmm. Imagine... If all of our primary teachers and primary leaders and song leaders and nursery leaders viewed themselves in that way with Mm -hmm. a stewardship and a a responsibility. Expanded mm -hmm. vision of their role. Mm -hmm. It is not a 20-minute lesson. And I think some of our primary instructors have probably thought, oh, well, there's COVID and so there's no primary and I don't have a class to teach and so I don't have a church calling. Oh, no, 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 no. You had children in your stewardship for whom you have responsibility to minister Mm -hmm. all during the week, whether we're having primary on Sunday or via Zoom or not at all. So in answer to this primary leader's question, ministering to the children can happen amongst the primary leaders. And I think that's where we're going to see some gains. If Mm -hmm. we can get those primary teachers, we love them. We pray for them. We're so thankful for them. Those consecrated sisters and brothers who are willing to really commit to these children, follow them, make sure that they get on the covenant path or baptized, stay on the covenant path, prepare for the next ordinance. That's what we need. We need ministering at that level, too. Mm -hmm. And I do think if we have primary leaders and teachers who are tuned into the children— They'll be the first ones to observe a problem. If a child isn't being well cared for, they may notice a change in demeanor. Mm -hmm. If things aren't functioning well at home, who suffers first? The children. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's going to be manifest in a Mm -hmm. primary leader who's tuned into what's going on with that child, Mm -hmm. right? And then the primary leader can take that through the appropriate channels to the ward council so the ward council can formulate a plan for addressing those needs. If we can get ward councils talking about children, the whole family will be addressed. Mm -hmm. If we just talk about mom and dad, guess what? We're never going to find out what's going on with the children and youth. We've got to talk about the children. If you start with the children, you'll get to
0: mom and dad. Mm -hmm. You'll address the needs of the whole family. Ooh, so many good ideas. Yeah, that's (laughs) a really great great insight. Yes, Mm. thank you. As you were talking, I was thinking of a couple things. One was we recently interviewed Sister Carol Lawrence Cosley, who is on the Young Women General Advisory Council, and she shared a story that has just stayed with me. She was born in London, England, and moved as a young teenager to New York. And she and her sister were members of the church. And I don't think her parents remembers. And she talked about how this family in the ward or branch was assigned to them. And her whole teenage years, they picked them up for every activity. They took them to church. And she wanted to be there so badly. There was a distance mm-hmm. um, to the church building. And I just think how amazing her life was changed because these leaders, and I don't think they were even leaders. I think it was just a family in the ward that also had teenagers just said, you can come with us. We'll take you. We'll make sure that you're there and how wonderful that is. And that's what I thought of is if we can be thinking of those people. And oftentimes I think it is just come with us. Just come with me. We're going to be there anyway. Come along with us. We want you there. We're
2: ministering to the one. I listened to that podcast and it was fabulous and a great story. And perhaps that family was assigned but even if they weren't, they gave themselves the assignment mm-hmm, to take yeah. her under their wing and to minister to her and nurture her and make her feel comfortable in the gospel because she didn't have home-centered learning going on. Right. She didn't have home-centered. Right. So these children that don't have home-centered We really need to ramp up church-supported, and it's a balance that Mm -hmm. we have to create. Of course, ideally, this is primarily happening in the home and supported by church, but we have a lot of children and youth who do not have home-centered going on. And they're just going to need more church support. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know what? The Lord trusts us to do that. Because he trusts that we'll turn to him for help on a one-on-one basis and say, what does this child need in my primary class? Are we praying for our primary children by name? If I'm a primary teacher, am I asking for heaven's help with respect to each one of those children? Because they're not going to all need the same thing. It's interesting to me that our Heavenly Father and the Savior have a particularized plan for each of us, right? A very merciful plan for each of us where we stumble and they help us and we pick back up and they forgive us. We move forward. They have a very particularized plan for us. Mm -hmm. Well, the same holds true for these children in our primary classes. But how are we supposed to know what the plan is? By engaging Heaven's help.
0: That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Such a great response to that question. I know that will help a lot of people. Thank you. And I yeah. even think in various other callings and responsibilities, when we remember our first job is just to help these people feel loved yeah. and known and remembered, that so much will come from just that effort. Mm-hmm. So I love that. Thank you. And related to this, when we think about your calling, you have two main audiences. As you were just saying, you speak to the leaders and the parents, and you also speak to children. We'd love to hear, what is your message to both of these groups? It sort of harkens back to what I said earlier. You can engage heaven's help. Mm
2: -hmm. That's the message to the children. The Lord is willing to help us. The Holy Ghost will speak truth to us, comfort us, guide us, warn us, and we have to be deliberately involved in engaging heaven's help, seeking heaven's help. And that holds true for the children and youth and also for their parents Mm -hmm. and their leaders. I think it's important that our children have experiences with the spirit. They need to develop a reservoir of experiences where they felt the spirit. And perhaps it's because I don't know that I did this very well as a parent myself, or perhaps I didn't do it well as a primary leader either. But We spend a lot of time creating an environment where the spirit can be present. We plan for a primary experience where the spirit is present. And oftentimes you can see almost a physical manifestation in the eyes of the children where you can tell they're feeling it, right? Mm -hmm. They're feeling it. They're feeling it. And then we don't do anything with it. (laughs) We don't call it
0: out and give it a name. Help identify Mm -hmm. it for them.
2: And so what happens is they get to their teenage years and they say, I've never had an experience with the Spirit because the heavens never parted and the light never came down. Or I never started to cry when I bore my testimony. Or I never felt a warm blanket. And those are the three ways they thought they were going to feel the Spirit and they never had that so they don't think they felt it. No, they have had experiences with the Spirit. It doesn't speak to us the same way every time and it's different from one person to the next. So it might be a warm blanket to me, but it could be a tingly, cold feeling for someone else. And some people have words Mm -hmm. spoken in their head, and others have never had that experience. And some bear their testimony with lots of tears, and others don't. It's not that one's feeling the Spirit and the other's not. It's different ways that the Spirit manifests itself. So when we have a sense, when we've worked hard to create an environment where the Spirit can be felt— Let's talk about what's being felt. Mm -hmm. Let's put a name on it so these children understand what they're feeling. And again, we create a reservoir of experiences with the Spirit for them to rely upon, frankly, for a lifetime. And I don't think we should discount our children under eight. I think we start talking about the Spirit once they've been confirmed. Well, we know that that those younger Mm -hmm. Mm children, they're feeling manifestations of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Are we talking to them about it? Are we saying, how are you feeling when we sing I am a child of God?
0: There's so many opportunities with music.
2: Right. Mm -hmm. So they say, oh, I'm feeling sort of tingly, or I just feel 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 warm, Mm -hmm. or I feel good. You say, that's the spirit. Mm-hmm. right? That's the Holy Ghost testifying to you, talking to you about how that's truthful. And you can have that feeling with you all the time, and you're going to have other experiences with the Spirit like this. I think we have to talk about what they're feeling more. I think we're leaving it on the table. We're working so hard to create a situation <laughs> mm-hmm. where the <laughs> Spirit like do comes. The follow through. Do the follow-through. Mm-hmm. Ask the next question to help those children
1: identify the Spirit And this ties into something that stuck out to me from your BYU Women's Conference address when you were talking about when we're teaching the children and they start learning how to feel the spirit, Then, and specifically you're talking about women, these primary girls become young women who are more confident in their experiences and can start leading. And then Mm -hmm. those young women become women who Mm -hmm. are in relief society and can contribute in those ways. Mm -hmm. And then they become moms who then teach their children. And I just thought it was so beautiful how you said it's a cycle. And I think if we switch our perspectives to have that more Kind of the vision, right? Yeah, this vision and this bigger picture. That helps me with my kids too. And I look, I have three daughters and they are going to feel the Spirit differently. I had never thought of that until you just articulated that, Mm -hmm. that when I speak to them, it has to be individual. And I have to kind of facilitate that individual experience for my kids.
2: Exactly. And if we always talk about it, like the classic baptism and confirmation talk is about the warm blanket that they're going to feel. (laughs) And if we have a child that never felt that warm feeling then they think they haven't had an experience Mm -hmm. with the Spirit because we've identified it for them. We've got to elicit their responses, Mm -hmm. help them. Ask questions. Mm -hmm. How do you feel? What is going on? I can see something in your eyes right now. What are you feeling? Give them an opportunity to articulate it and then put a name on it. So again, their reservoirs being filled. In the mission field, an enlightened missionary always pauses in a lesson when they can see that the investigator... We now call them friends. Mm -hmm. And you can see that the friend is feeling the spirit. And they say, okay, what are you feeling right now? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the spirit. We want those people to understand what they're feeling. But I don't think we're doing it especially well with our children. Mm -hmm. And they're feeling it over and over and over again because we're working hard to create an environment where they (laughs) do, but we're not putting a name on it. And I think we can do better in putting a name on it reassure them that they are having experiences with the spirit and that they can count on the spirit. They can count on personal revelation. We want them to feel the love of their heavenly father and the savior. How do they feel that? Through the spirit. Mm -hmm. So it's what's on my mind right now is filling this reservoir with spiritual experiences. So these kids don't get to their youth years or their young adult years and say, I don't think I've had an experience with the Spirit. Oh, you have too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No one told you that that's what it was. You were expecting something so much more grandiose than happens to most of us. Mm -hmm. And maybe some, maybe the heavens will part for some. They haven't for me. And so if they're expecting that or the warm blanket that we, and that's a lovely analogy, (laughs) but it might not work for everybody, right? And so I don't want those kids to think, well, I didn't.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah. One of the fascinating parts of this calling for me is that I wouldn't say that children are my natural audience. So I've spent my professional life talking to judges and other lawyers. (laughs) I spent those three years in Peru primarily addressing the needs of 18 to Mm 25-year-olds. And now I have an audience of a million children around (laughs) the world. And I think my experience in Peru is going to help because I learned to communicate the principles of the gospel in a more simple way, and my testimony was refreshed over the notion that it doesn't have to be complicated. Mm-hmm. It isn't complicated, and so this is a wonderful opportunity for me, again, to make use of the things I learned about the simplicity of the truths of the gospel— And frankly, I don't know whether or not my legal experience per se will have application to this particular calling. It may be that some of the things I learned in problem solving will be useful. Mm -hmm. I don't know that my knowledge of the law has any particular application, but the beauty of this is it's an unfolding restoration, right? (laughs) It's an unfolding of an understanding of your role in it and how you can contribute at any level. And how do we find out? By seeking heaven's help, right? We turn to the source of of every truth to find out how our life's experience is going to contribute to the work of salvation and exaltation. And I don't want anyone to think either that when you have a calling like this, that suddenly it all just gels in your mind and you have this all figured out. As much now as ever in my life, I'm working hard to humbly understand what the Lord has in mind for me to do and wondering what more I can do to make sure I know what it is the Savior wants communicated to the people and how he wants his work done. He could just do it himself. He doesn't do that. He allows us to participate. Isn't that humbling? Mm -hmm. And so that's a privilege and an opportunity and a blessing and a beautiful struggle to stay in tune. But my point is, you don't just achieve it. Again, it's not a checklist. like You don't check that off. Oh, good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, it's a constant working hard, doing all the things we have to do to stay in touch with and in tune with the Spirit because
0: they're willing to give it to us, but we have to work for it, I think. Mm -hmm. President Johnson, is there anything else you would say to the women of the church or those listening to the podcast I don't want anyone to think that I'm on the podcast with all the
2: answers. I'm not. What I do know is that we can turn to heaven for help, whatever our responsibility is. As an aunt, how do I fulfill my responsibilities as an aunt to these nieces and nephews that I love dearly? Well, I mean, read self help books. That's great. But why not engage the source of all truth? I think sometimes we distract ourselves with information that is. A little bit useful, but not the ultimate source. Let's start there. Now, of course, the Lord expects us to do our homework. We can't just turn to Him and say, Tell me everything and lay it out one, two, three, four, five. That research that we do, the studying that we do is all important. But start in the right place. Start there. Do your part. Keep doing your part. Do your part over and over again, 10 more times. Mm -hmm. And I just trust that the Lord does help us. He comes through for us in the end. We have to do our part, though. We have to do our homework and mm-hmm. our work. And a, but don't wait till the end and then suddenly invite heaven's help into the process, right? Engage heaven's help at the beginning and then do your part and work hard at it. And I'm just sort of preaching to myself because this is where I'm at right now saying, how do I write my MTC devotional talk and a pathway devotional and a general conference talk and a leadership conference? And I, what does the Lord want me to say? What's the message he wants to give? Not the message that would be easy for me to give. What's the message that he wants? How does he want it delivered? It's very humbling. And I just wouldn't want the sisters anywhere to think, oh, those people in the Relief Society building have it all figured out. We're working at it. I'm working. I don't know. Maybe the others
0: do. <laughs> but I'm working at it. Uh, thank you so much, Sister Johnson. This has been such a wonderful conversation. It's been so lovely to get to know you, and, and I think your insights about the primary and your insights as a woman serving in the church are so valuable. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. I hope it was helpful.
1: Thank you again, President Johnson, for joining us today. And thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. As a reminder, we have new episodes released every week, and we hope you'll continue to tune in and share the episodes with friends and family members. And we've been so grateful to hear from so many listeners via email and on Apple podcast reviews, and we hope you'll continue to share your thoughts and feedback. We love hearing from you. Feel free to contact us at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org with any suggestions for topics or guests.
0: We also want to make sure our listeners are aware that the podcast is available just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. So in addition to being on the church's website, it's also available on the Gospel Library app, the Saints Channel mobile app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you can find podcasts. So continue to tune in, subscribe, and please continue to share these voices and stories of women of faith with your friends and family. And finally, we'd like to thank our wonderful editor, Kurt Dahl, and our producer, Matthew Mangum, and the many others who support this podcast. Until next week, I'm Carly Guyman. And I'm Shaylin Back. Thanks again for listening.